So I'm going to review some points from the Sicha of Sukkot, volume 19, Sicha 1. Um, I never cover the entire Sicha, I just do certain parts, similar to the way I teach it in my own Chabad house. And this week is certainly true that I'm not covering every aspect of the Sicha, but hopefully it's helpful to uh, some people. So the Sicha is based on a discussion in halacha and Jewish law that both the lulav and the sukkah must be yours when you use it. Uh, you're not allowed to steal it. Uh, it has to be yours. And this is based on the verses in the Torah that it says by both of them, the language, it should be yours. Let's pull up the verses. When it comes to the uh, lulav, it says in verse 40, you should take for yourselves the four kinds. It should be yours. Take for yourself. This is an expression that we don't find in most mitzvahs. Very few mitzvahs does it say the word lochem. When it says lochem, it means it should be yours. Torah is saying the lulav must be yours. So much so that the halacha is not only you can't steal a lulav, you can't even borrow a lulav. If you use someone else's lulav, the intention, and it should even be stated if possible, that the person is gifting it to you. The language is matona almanas lahachser, a gift on the condition of then returning it. At the moment when you're using the lulav, it's owned by you, based on this verse. It can't be stolen, it can't even be borrowed. When it comes to sukkah, we have a similar verse. The Torah says, this is in Parshas Re'eh, in verse 13, Chag HaSukkos Tasa Lecha, should make for yourself the festival of Sukkah, which the Gemara, the Talmud, derives that the Sukkah should be yours. However, here, the halacha becomes that while you can't steal a Sukkah, which would mean you can't trespass, you can't steal a schach from someone else's property or public property if it's considered stealing, the Sukkah will not be kosher. Stolen sukkah doesn't count. Torah says it's got to be yours. However, the halacha is a borrowed sukkah is valid. And this becomes the conversation of the sicha. Why the distinction between these two mitzvahs? The language of the Torah is very similar. The lulav should be yours. The sukkah should be yours. And yet when it comes to the lulav, it's got to be owned by you. Even borrowing is not sufficient. When it comes to the sukkah, uh, it's it's got to be yours that it's not stolen, but it can be borrowed. Why the difference? So this is the headline of the Sicha. Let's take a look. I'm just uh, cutting and pasting those two verses. The verse by the Lulav is, take for yourselves the Lulav, etc. Halach is, it's got to be yours, not even borrowed. Whereas conversely, by Sukkah, it says, make for you Sukkahs. Halach is, it cannot be stolen, but borrowed is okay. Why the difference? So the Talmud explains that the there's another verse which sort of counters this verse regarding sukkah, which is why a sukkah can be borrowed. And that verse is that all of Israel can dwell in sukkahs, sort of making it plural. Everybody can sit in the sukkah, indicating that we can all do the sukkah mitzvah together. And therefore, clearly, the sukkah doesn't have to be owned by everyone. And it's balancing out. So on the one hand, we have a verse that says the sukkah should be yours. On the other hand, it says the sukkah is everybody's. And therefore, the Talmud sort of comes up with a ruling and says, well, as long as it's not stolen, it's okay. And that's, but that result is understood in two ways. As I'm showing you lower on the screen, the way commentary is and the way the Alter Rebbe writes in his code. Conventional commentary seems to understand it 
that the lulav has to actually be yours, the sukkah does not. Even though the language in the Torah is similar. Here it says, take for you, and here it says, take for you. However, because by the sukkah, there is a counter verse which says that all of Israel could dwell in the sukkah. So the commentary understands it to mean that the Talmudic ruling is that while a lulav must be actually yours, that's the language of, uh, of, of the halacha, shaloi mamash, literally yours, the sukkah does not have to be actually yours. It has to be yours in the sense that it's not stolen. And that's sort of qualifying the biblical verse that says it should be yours. It should be yours and that it's not stolen. It doesn't really have to be yours because the Torah says it in another verse that everyone sits together in the sukkah. However, the Rebbe points out that the Alta Rebbe in his code of law clearly states that both the Lulav and the Sukkah have to be yours, literally yours. And therefore, the Alta Rebbe does not understand the concept that in Jewish law, the Sukkah can be borrowed to be lowering the bar on the fact that it has to be yours. No, Lulav's got to be yours, the Sukkah's got to be if that's the case, how do we understand the distinction in Jewish law that the lulav cannot be borrowed, but must be owned by you, and the sukkah can? So the Rebbe explains this first on a legal level, very briefly. And the Rebbe says, and then the Rebbe gives a Hasidic interpretation, which is then elaborated on the rest of the sikh. First, the halachic legal explanation. The Rebbe basically says a very simple concept. A lulav is an individual item, which, which you can either borrow or you can own. And if the Torah says you should own it, you got to own it. Borrowing is not sufficient. It's like Lahabdal, somebody borrows a hammer or, or a screwdriver. That's not ownership. And therefore, the Torah says, no, you got to own it. A sukkah. A sukkah, conversely, is like a house. You're supposed to live in your sukkah like you live in your home. You can't really borrow a home. If I borrow your home, it's a form of ownership. Being that the midst of sukkah is that it should be like my home. When I'm sitting in a sukkah, even if it's someone else's sukkah, I'm sitting in it as if it's my home. And therefore, the borrowing already constitutes a form of ownership. Therefore, that's how the Rebbe wants to explain the legal side of this argument. That while the sukkah I must own in order for it to be considered literally mine, actually mine, I don't own it. If I borrow it, it's like borrowing a hammer. It's not mine, I borrowed yours. The sukkah, even if I borrow it, it's like mine because a borrowed residence has a permanence to it and therefore it's a form of ownership. Think about it, even if you go into a hotel room for one night, you don't own it. But there's a certain permanence. Nobody can walk in and out of it. It's yours because the definition of residence is already a form of ownership, and therefore a borrowed sukkah is an owned sukkah for all practical purposes. That's how the Rebbe explains it on a legal level. Again, I'm omitting a tremendous amount of discussion and footnotes and the whole legal side of this sikha. But then the Rebbe explains it on the Hasidic level. And here the Rebbe gives the headline explanation and then dives into it. The headline explanation is this. It's known that the central theme of all the holidays one of the central themes is Achtus Yisrael, the oneness of all of Israel, all the Jewish people. And why is that so central? Because if the central theme of all the holidays of Tishrei is that we reconnect with Hashem, we understand that all we are is an extension of Hashem. If Hashem is the sun, we're just rays of light. We're just, we reconnect to our true selves. 
How do I know I reconnected to my true self that I'm one with Hashem if I feel one with another you? Because if I'm truly one with Hashem, so is the other you. And therefore, a manifestation, an expression of my tshuva, of my reconnecting to my essence, is the fact that I feel one with everyone else. And that's why one of the underlying themes of all of the holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur and Sukkot, there is an undercurrent, there's a backdrop of achdos, of oneness. We all pray together. All different levels, they're all the same. And that is expressed in the holiday of Sukkot on two mitzvahs. It's expressed in the unity of the four kinds, because we take the four kinds which are different, and we unite them, which represent uniting four types of Jews, as is famously known, right? That one, the esrig, has the smell and the taste, and the lulav only has the taste, and the mahadas only has the smell, and the arava has neither, which represents all different types of Jews, the smell representing the do-gooders, mitzvahs, the taste representing Torah scholarship. And we have Jews who have both or neither or, or one or the other. So it represents that we bring them all together and, and, and we can't live without them. There's no mitzvah without all four types, indicating that the lulav, the mitzvah of lulav represents that all yidden are connected. We need each other. It's unity. It's beautiful. However, it's a unity that doesn't represent a perfect unity because in the end, we still represent the differences. We still understand the differences. It's like someone might say to you, you know, I forgive and I forget, but I never forgot that I forgave. Similarly, there's a unity, but the unity of differences. We're uniting all of them, but we still know the lulav is the lulav and the esrit is the esprit. I'm united with you, but I'm a, I'm a scholar and you're a layman. And that's not a perfect unity. Well, however, in the midst of sukkah, which all Jews do exactly equally, it's the great equalizer. It's one of the very few mitzvahs in Torah where many, many, many Jews do it exactly the same at the same moment. Here, there's no distinction. There isn't a difference in one year and the other. They're all the same. They're all sukkah eaters, sukkah sitters. They're all yidin. And therefore, the sukkah is a much higher level of unity where the differences dissolve completely. You might say that in the four kinds, it's like we're like brothers and sisters. We have a connection. We need each other. We're still independent individuals. In the sukkah, we're like parts of the same body, where we're literally one and the same. Says the Rebbe, therefore we can understand why in the lulav, for me to do the mitzvah, I have to own it. Because if you own it, I don't own it. Because you and I are still separate. Even though we're united in the mitzvah of lulav, we're still separate, we're just united. Conversely, if I walk into a sukkah that you own, I own it. Because what's sukkah? The unity on the spiritual Hasidic level. The sukkah is the unity of all Jews. You and I are not connected, but we're actually one. And therefore your sukkah is mine and vice versa. So long as I didn't steal it and violate that oneness. So that's how the Rebbe explains on the Hasidic spiritual level. I have it on the last line of the screen. The lulav represents an incomplete unity, a unity, but we're still separate. And therefore your lulav is not mine. And that won't count. I have to own it. Sukkah represents a complete unity. All Jews are one. The differences are dissolved. You don't see any differences. And therefore, any Jew's sukkah is actually every Jew's sukkah. It's a brilliant Hasidic interpretation of this. So this is the headline. The Rebbe now goes in to explain, oh, based on this, the Rebbe says now you can actually see this Hasidic difference in the verse, verse itself. We said before, both verses say it's got to be yours. In the Lulav, it says you should take for yourselves. And the Sukkot says you should make for you a Sukkot. 
Both of them mean it has to be you. However, there's a difference. By the lulav, it's in, it's in plural. Ulekachtem lachem, take for yourselves. By the sukkah, it's chagasukas tasa lachem, take for you. So the Rebbe says that the aforementioned intrinsic essential unity of all Jews as literally being one being, to the extent that your sukkah is my sukkah, is hinted in the biblical verse. In lulav, it says yourselves, plural. There's still yourselves, there's still many Jews. They're connected, but there's still many. Whereas in the sukkah, the language is tasa lecha. He speaks in singular because all Jews are literally like one on the level of the unity of the sukkah. And therefore it is reflected in the actual instruction of the verse, it should be you. It should be yours in singular. And who's you? Every Jew is you, singular. And then the Rebbe expands this. I mean, you could stop right here and you have the legal and the spiritual explanation of the question of the sukkah versus the lulav. But then the Rebbe expands on this and explains it by going into the general principle of all the holidays of Tishrei. The Rebbe explains, we're going to bring it up in a second. Let me just give the introduction. The Rebbe explains that... Um, the holiday season of Rosh Hashanah and Kippur Sukkot, it's a flow from one to the other. There's a pattern. Um, it's renewing our bond to Hashem. Says the Rebbe that this bond happens on three levels. A base level, a deeper level, and a highest level. And then the Rebbe will go on to explain that these three levels represent the three holidays, Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, Sukkot, respectively. And then the rabbi will explain within each one, all these three. So that's what happens with the rest of the Sikh. What are those three levels? So basically, I'm, I'm you know, speaking it in plain English language, uh, rather than the language of the Sikh. Basically, the one level is that we're like servants to Hashem, we're, we're friends of Hashem. The relationship is through mitzvahs. What's the connection of two strangers? We're not intrinsically connected. It's the relationship of mitzvahs. I do what you want, therefore we're connected. The second deeper level is teshuva. Teshuva is greater than just mitzvahs. I'm connected to you because I do what you want. Like perhaps a servant and a master or two friends where the relationship is just dependent on my behavior. It's not an intrinsic, unconditional. It's conditional. I'm your friend because you're nice to me, because you help me. If you violate it, I'm going to destroy the friendship. It's not unconditional at all. Whereas teshuva represents, I have violated the relationship, and yet I can fix it. I can mend it. Now it elevates itself to perhaps an unconditional level of relationship where two people, two people create a bond between them, a covenant, where even if one does something or the other doesn't like, they can mend that. And therefore the relationship has gone deeper than just conditional. It's become almost unconditional. However, there too, I like to use the example of a spouse. It's two strangers who, be, who create a bond. And it's an unconditional bond. We don't say we're going to love each other and care about each other so long as everything that you only do good things. No, uh, even if not, we are committed. That's what a commitment is. That's what a bond is, a covenant. We understand that we belong together and we create it. And therefore, there's place for chuma, there's place for mistakes and reconciliation. 
However, even that is not ultimately unconditional because it's based on the fact that the behavior is good. And if it's not good, we can fix it. So it still goes back to behavior. It's still a behavioral connection. It's still in a sense conditional, except that the conditional relationship has deepened itself to non-conditional because I know you'll fix it. And I really love you. You're really amazing. And therefore you made a mistake, but you'll fix it tomorrow. You won't make the mistake, but you can't say the relationship is unconditional completely. The highest level would be a parent and a child where the relationship is really unconditional. There's nothing you can do to divorce your child. There's nothing a child can really do for the parent not to care about the child. The two are really one. And this, the Rebbe is going to explain, these are the three levels of the relationship of a Yid and Hashem, where his servants, I'm applying these titles. The Rebbe, let me bring up the spreadsheet that I put together. Um, the three levels, the Rebbe says, through mitzvahs, this is from bottom up through tshuva and the essential bond. And I'm using it as an example, uh, a relationship of a servant or a friend, which is an external connection. It's external. It's dependent on your behavior. You do what I need, you take care of me, or in a relationship of Hashem, you're doing mitzvahs, you're connected. If you don't, God forbid, you're not connected. It's very simple, the tip of that. The second middle level is tshuva, which tshuva, means that there is, like I'm saying on the third line down, there is some internal, unconditional, covenantial relationship. The analogy of giving is a spouse. It's two strangers, and they could again be two strangers. However, they've now become not strangers. They have made a commitment to one another on a covenantial level. And in our relationship with Hashem, it's expressed through tshuva. I've sinned. I've gone against Hashem. How, how could I fix that? And the answer is no, there's never too late. Hashem says you can always mend it. And therefore, there's an element of non-conditionality. There's an element, element of, a, of an internal bond. However, the internal bond is still conditional. You're going to fix the mistakes and go back to the mitzvahs. So ultimately, it's similar to the first column, except it's a little bit deeper. It's a lot deeper. There's room for error. I really decided that you're mine. And therefore, even though you messed up, that's okay, not because I don't care, but because you can fix it. Much deeper than the first column, but nevertheless, still conditional. However, when you talk about an essential bond, Hashem says, you're my children. It's a natural bond, it's an essential bond. You don't create it, you can't break it, and it's dependent on nothing. These are the three levels of our relationship with Hashem. So the Rebbe says in the next line here that the three, this is the three Yom Tebet. And um, from the top down, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, Rosh Hashanah being the highest. Because Rosh Hashanah is known as Achtaras HaMelech, the coronation of the king. The coronation of the king represents that we are connected to Hashem essentially in a deep bond that's like two are really one. It's not the scope of this a shear to explain it in depth. Suffice it to say that Rosh Hashanah, Hashem, gives us the choice that he won't be our king. And by the shofar, we renew it. And the question is, why would we renew it? If he's not our king, so what's our allegiance to him? Why do we coronate him? If he's our king, our allegiance is he's our king, we got to listen to him. But if he's not our king, Rosh Hashanah night, the language is that Hashem backs off and he says, it's up to you. If you want me, I'm back. If not, I'll leave you alone. God forbid. 
And the Jews cry out, no, we can't live without you. We are going to coronate you. Why? The answer is because the bond is essential. It's like I can't decide that you're not my mother or my father. I can't decide that he's not my king because he is one with me. And therefore, coronation is representative of an essential bond. Yom Kippur, everyone knows that Kippur is true. Once I made that essential bond, I now clean up my act. And Yom Kippur is very powerful. I can fix mistakes. Sukkot, the emphasis of mitzvahs, the lulav and the sukkah and the simcha is all kind of do, doing, do's and don'ts, much more so than Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And therefore, nominally, these three festivals represent this train of thought, this pattern uh, from top down. We start with the essence, and then we bring the essence into a place of correction, and then we actually bring it down into behavior. And then the Rebbe, in signature fashion of the Rebbe, in a general signature fashion of the way the Rebbe sees all of Torah, that if all these three are true throughout the holiday season, through the month of Tishrei, they're true in each one itself. So the Rebbe then highlights it within each one. That within Rosh Hashanah itself, we have the three aspects. The essential bond is reflected by the coronation, as mentioned earlier. We can't live without it. He's our king even when he's not. Like a parent says to the child, you're my child even when you are strange. Rosh Hashanah has the aspect of Teshuvah. It's one of the 10 days of Teshuvah. So it has that aspect too, the middle column. And it has mitzvahs. It has the mitzvah of Shofar. So it has the thou shalt. It has the doing aspect as well. Um, Yom Kippur. Also, I'm going from right to left here. The essential bond of Yom Kippur is, the language is the essence of the day cleanses. Itzuma shayom mechaper. Yom Kippur is different than Chuba the rest of the year. That just the fact that you show up, just the fact that you, you accept Yom Kippur and, and that it will do the job for you. The essence of the day does it because Yom Kippur is, has an essential bond element. Then there is the Chuba of Yom Kippur, which is the mainstay of Yom Kippur, as mentioned earlier. And then there is the detailed mitzvahs. He's supposed to say the confessional. He's supposed to fast. There are mitzvahs. There are specifications. Similarly, in sukkah, the Rebbe says we have all three. Sukkah is the essential bond. How so? Because as mentioned earlier, in the sukkah, all Jews are united as one. All Jews do the mitzvah together to the point that they literally become one. How could all Jews become literally one? How can two become one? How can many become one? And the answer is because the sukkah is a place, a perfect unity, an essential unity with Hashem, with each of us, and thereby with Hashem, with each of us, with one another. And therefore, the fact that sukkah is the highest level unit, where many are one, thinking of Yipluribus Unim, but literally many are one, it's therefore by extension or, 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 or in, in the core of it, that we are all one with Hashem and not because we became one, but because we are one. Whereas Lula is the concept of teshuva. Firstly, on the face of it, the Medrash says the Lula is a celebration of our victory in judgment, which is the concept of forgiveness. Also, and the aforementioned that Lula is a, a concept of unity, but a lesser level. 
So it's a unity similar to teshuva unity, where where two become one. They have an internal, unconditional connection, but it's a created connection, like a spouse. It's not like the sukkah, which is an essential one, an overriding one. It's a created one. And then we have the joy of sukkahs, which what is the joy of sukkahs? Ultimately, it's simcha shal mitzvah, it's a joy of mitzvahs. And therefore, that goes into the column of the mitzvah relationship. Joy is because I have mitzvahs, I have many ways, many channels to connect to Hashem. And therefore, we have now these three themes of unity, these three levels of unity, not just throughout the whole month, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, Sukkot, but we have it within each holiday in and of itself. Bottom line, says the Rebbe, that this now reflects the unity of each. Now, what is the level of the unity? When we're talking about mitzvahs, we're independent. Everyone does mitzvahs on their own, and everyone does a different amount of mitzvahs. You can't compare the level of mitzvahs from one Jew to another. The level of Torah study. We're all different. One, people do more mitzvahs quali- quantitatively, qualitatively. It's each his own. When it comes to teshuva, which teshuva represents a deeper connection, that's a place that we're all connected. But the very words we're all connected, like the connection of the four kinds of the Lulav and the Yashrib, Hadassah and Arabis, we're all connected means that we're still all, but we're connected. And that's what tshuva is. Just like our connection to Hashem in tshuva is a created one, albeit a deep one. It's an internal one. It's not an external one, as I have on the third line on the screen. It's not external. It's internal, but it's not essential. It's created. It comes from commitment. Whereas the unity of the sukkah and the, that essential bond represents we're all one. So the Rebbe goes through this entire exercise and then comes back to his original explanation. And that explains at a deeper level, explains a lot clearer why the sukkah is different than the lulav. And in the lulav, I must own my own lulav. I can't use yours as a borrowed one because if it's yours, it's not mine. Because remember, the lulav is in the middle column. The lulav represents a unity that of two, the two connect, but not their one. Whereas the sukkah, your sukkah is my sukkah, even if it's yours. I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't, you weren't, they didn't gift it to me. It's not mine, it's borrowed. It's still okay, because your sukkah is my sukkah on a spiritual level. That's the message of sukkah. I want to just point out that the takeaway of the whole sikha, of this whole chart that you're looking at, and that the whole month of Tishrei, all of the holidays, and each one individually ultimately represents these three levels. So perhaps the way the way the, the, the way Hasidus is trying to explain this is explained in detail in this sicha and in another sicha in volume four of the Kuti Sichos. The Rebbe is explaining to us that the relationship goes from the bottom up and comes back down. How do I mean that? Because people have asked me this question when I've taught this concept. People said to me, I don't understand. If we have the essential bond, why do we need the other two? If we're his children, why bother with the spouse and why bother with the servant? So the explanation is that it goes from the bottom up and then it goes from the top down. Nominally, we don't feel like Hashem's children. We feel like we're we and he's he. We feel separate. And therefore, we have to start building the relationship through behavior. You don't magically feel the essence. It's there deep down, but you don't feel it. 
the relationship begins through practical connection. And then we can reach a higher level of the spousal connection. And then we can reach a place where we feel the essential bond. So it's like climbing a ladder, but then we don't want to stop there. If we stop there, then where will we be the rest of the year? And, and every single day when we live our lives day to day, that presence of Hashem will not be there in our daily lives. Maybe it'll be somewhere deep down, but not every moment are we sitting in the sukkah or Yom Kippur feeling the essence. And for that, Hashem and His kindness gave us that not only that there's all three levels, but the essential bond is, of course, the essential connection, perhaps the truest connection. However, that truest connection, Hashem also reveals it and brings it down for us in the level of tshuva and even the level of mitzvahs of behavior so that our essential connection reflects not only in our soul, but in our heart, not only our heart, but in our behavior. Not only we are essentially one with Hashem, but we actually feel it and we actually live that way practically. It's like somebody has a child. They love that child no matter what, but the child is destroying their life and not using their potential. It's wonderful that he's my child, but it doesn't make me happy. I want my child because I love the child. I want the child to feel connected to me. And I also want the child to be the best they can be behaviorally. And therefore there's all three columns and there's not one without the other. It should be a Fredach and Sukkis and a good yard.